Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke. And as you can probably hear, I am uh, pretty congested right now. I am a little bit sick. I'm highly medicated, so I hope I don't come off too loopy. I seem fine to myself, but hopefully you'll let me know, Dave, if I go off the rails here. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, where uh, we've been seeing a lot of scenes like this so far, where Jesus is beginning to hand more and more of his ministry over to his disciples, giving them kind of trial runs. He's already sent out the 12. Now he's going to send out some more people as well. So we're in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, where we read this. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of, from, of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And I know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, Will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's a number of things I notice in this passage that I think are uh, really interesting and we could spend a lot of time on. One, I think it's interesting that he sends them out in pairs. They're, they're not alone. I think uh, that's a really good word right there for American Christians. We tend to have this kind of lone ranger, desperado, on my own kind of uh, mentality with so much of life. And here, uh, Jesus highlights the importance of, of having each other's backs, of being together. Um, another thing that's going on is the importance of... Uh, hospitality. Uh, this is uh, one of the verses that I know is, uh, <laughs> it gives a lot of consternation to missionaries, but it says, uh, as you enter a town and, wel and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. I have friends who have had to eat bugs because of that verse. Uh, but it really speaks to the importance of, of really accepting people and, and being with them and having this kind of solidarity in response to their, their hospitality. Um, you know, I remember on, this isn't going to surprise you, I mentioned this the broadcast all the time, but I was listening to Hidden Brain, the Shankar Vedantam, I love that show, and they were talking about how food eats, uh, eating food together brings people closer together. This is something that we all know. The surprising thing, though, is that this isn't always the case. 
In fact, if we eat different foods from other people, and especially if we reject the food that other people are having, it actually creates a much greater distance between people. So it'd be better not to eat at all. Uh, one example, one study that they did was where they gave um, people who were going to have to enter a negotiation with each other and they were going to be, you know, that was the task they were given. At the same time, they were given snacks to eat and some people would be given sweet snacks. Some people would be given salty snacks. And what they found is that the people with sweet snacks and the people with, who were both salty snacks, they both uh, were able to solve the problem in around three rounds of negotiation. But the people who were eating different snacks, if one person was eating sweet and the other salty, on average, it took them seven rounds of negotiation in order to come to a resolution. Same task. And you wonder, what's the meaning of this? Well, their conclusion was that when people are eating similar foods, it does create this feeling of solidarity. But when you're eating something different, it acts as a barrier to that kind of solidarity. And so there, there really is a practical import, um, uh, you know, Jesus didn't have sociology and brain science, but he obviously knew something here about how we're wired. And he says, eat whatever is set before you. This is really important. And uh, this is something that I've really uh, taken to heart as well. I, I think, you know, if I'm on a diet, if I'm doing like keto or something like that, and someone invites me to their home or invites me to eat out, uh, I'm off the diet. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Community takes precedence, takes priority over whatever my preferences might be. And I, I see this as one of the barriers that, uh, you know, churches or any communities have to get past. One, one way to show hospitality is to make sure that you're not offering something that someone can't eat. That's, that's, that's one thing. But also as an individual coming into those situations, the value of really honoring what other people like as a way of showing that they matter, uh, matter to you. Uh, there was another um, interview I was listening to is the author of the book Disgust. And what she was saying is that every culture has some food that outsiders regard as disgusting, but it becomes kind of like a delicacy or like a real core to the culture. Uh, you can think of like with Koreans, you know, kimchi, you're burying this cabbage under the ground until it rots. Like uh, Japanese eat raw fish. Um, and the uh, interviewer oh, said, well, Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or stinky tofu or <laughs> whatever it is. That's right. And, uh, and, um, the, the uh, interviewer was saying, well, what do Americans or Europeans eat? He couldn't think. He says, we eat bland food, like nothing that's that's disgusting. He says, how about cheese? And, you know, you think about that, like taking milk and allowing it to ferment and, you know, in essence, rot is kind of disgusting if you're not used to it. And as, as a point of fact, she said that the Japanese word for cheese is literally, in their language, is literally rotting cow's milk. So... <laughs> It gives you an idea that the same way that uh, you might regard uh, someone else's food is the same way that they might regard, use it, regard yours. And actually, that very thing, which outsiders regard as disgusting, unconsciously, the insiders use it as a test to see if the other person, the outsider, is serious about relationship. Because if they're going to reject this disgusting aspect of your culture or what they see as disgusting, then chances are they're going to reject you in some other way. And so we exclude or keep distance from people who don't accept the things that, that we find valuable, especially that outsiders don't. So all of this to say, I think there's a real value to hospitality and and uh, solidarity, even in something as simple as food. And I know that as modern Americans with the luxury of choosing what we eat, we can be really picky about our foods. And I, I think there's a danger in that, especially because you can create such barriers with other people. Instead, 
you know, make that personal sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom, for the sake of relationships, for the sake of other people to really enjoy the things that they enjoy when you're together. Uh, anyway, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. I know that was a little bit out in left field for a passage about the 72 and evangelism, but I'm wondering what you see. I think you did pretty well, given all the drugs you're on right now. So um, <laughs> the uh, I see a, a few things in this passage I think are interesting. Um, the, the first one is just looking at the, as you already pointed out, he sent them ahead in pairs, right? Two by two. I think this is really important. Uh, so many of us think that the message, the words that we say, the doctrines that we teach, the the truths that we proclaim about Jesus, that's the message. But in fact, the message is incarnate in our love for each other, right? That's actually where the message is. And so kind of what I say is by itself can be very interesting as, you know, propositions about truth. Uh, but it's actually the way that we interact, the, the way that, you know, as I go out with somebody else and how do we resolve conflict? How do we negotiate hurt feelings? How do we deal with rifts in our really ruptures in our relationship? Uh, all of those things are the places where actually we see the difference that the gospel makes. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes their friends. Everybody gets along with people when everybody's getting along. But it's when people have struggles, when there's personality differences, when there's conflicts and tensions, that's the opportunity to see who Jesus is. And I actually think that's it's, you know, for a good reason. Jesus sends that out in pairs because the way we do community is our testimony. And this is one of these big things we've made a kind of a, a central thing at High Rock that, that we really believe that it's not simply the, the, the sermon, right? The truths that we teach. That's not fundamentally what we think is going to win people. We think the sermon can explain what people are experiencing. But what they're going to experience is the, the Holy Spirit at work through a community of people of sinners who hurt each other and yet somehow forgive, extend mercy, extend grace, welcome people who are different and difficult to be with. It's all of that work, right, where we see really what discipleship is all about. The, the, the real test of how holy we are, a lot of people think, oh, so many, you know, how much theology I know or how much Bible I know or, or you know, how little I sin, you know, how little I swear or, or whatever, you know, all these kinds of things. We have all these very individualistic ways. But really the most important way to measure our, our growth in Christ is by our love. And I think that's the mission that we have. I don't know what, what uh, you know, kind of extended family network you're in or what neighborhood you're in or what workplace or school you're in. That what we can do is by the way we interact with other believers, we can actually just whet people's appetite for Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus is the one who's going to convert people. Jesus is the one who's going to win people. That doesn't have to be us. And then uh, the, the final thing I'd say is in, in this verse 16, the last, last verse we looked at today, and I think that there's a way that this verse can be so helpful to us and a way that this verse has been misused that ends up being really hurtful. Uh, the way that, that yeah, what it says is anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And I think the unhealthy way I've seen this verse kind of manipulated is the people then start to feel a, a, uh, a, a religious righteousness about their hurt feelings. Well, I was rejected, and you are just rejecting me. You're rejecting Jesus. Therefore, you deserve, I, I can act out in my pain of, of rejection, because you didn't just reject me, you reject Jesus. I'm not really just acting out on behalf of my hurt, but I'm, I'm doing it for Jesus, right? I'm, I'm defending his honor. When in fact, really, we're just, our feelings were hurt. We felt rejected. 
And I think that's the way that this kind of verse can be weaponized. I think the way that it can actually be really helpful is for us to just be less self-conscious and say, hey, it's not really about me. And so, okay, hey, some people are, are going to, you know, see that hopefully I'm a little bit like Jesus in some ways, I hope. And some people are going to see that and it's going to make them very uncomfortable. You know, that They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. That That's okay. It's okay. Let it be. And other people are going to be really excited about you. But you know what they're really excited about? They're excited about the way they see the Holy Spirit through you. Don't, don't over-personalize it. And I think that can allow us to actually have a lot more grace and mercy for other people, but even then, even for ourselves, right? Not get so bent out of shape when people reject us, realizing, hey, we're part of this much bigger thing, right? They're, they're negotiating a relationship with their creator. And I just happen to be the face of this, in the face of, of, of the creator in this cir circumstance. And so don't take it too personally. So anyway, I think as we do that, as, as you go into your workplaces or into your family, being able to depersonalize and actually, instead of being so concerned about how you feel, being able to actually really be empathetic to how these other people feel. I think my real goal here isn't to make people like me. My goal is to bring healing to the relationship between them and God. And how they feel about me, not all that important. So anyway, I think those are a couple of things that stick out to me in this passage. I, I, I think a thread um, between both our uh, insights is that it's really important that people get to experience the love of God in action in order to be able to believe what we say about the love of God. Well, let me close this in prayer. Hmm. Lord, I pray that as we go out into your world on your behalf, God, I pray that people would know us by our love. I pray that they would recognize ways that we are human, but ways that we're more than just that, that we are filled with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that people would experience, that they would witness the fruit of your Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God, I pray that they would see those things in us. God, I pray that you would be more and more alive in us and that, Lord, that we would... We would have this heart that is not so obsessed with how people see us, but how they experience you. God, I pray that we would all enjoy more and more of that freedom. Lord, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I do hope that you join us again tomorrow where we get to see what happens when these 72 return and what Jesus has to say. So go in peace.